Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Moms and Coaching Podcast. I'm Brooke Wyckoff, women's basketball coach at Florida State University and mom to my daughter, Avery. And I'm Erica Lambert, women's basketball coach at Abilene Christian University and mom to my daughters, Ava and Maya. Being a mom and being a coach are two amazing jobs, but being both provides a unique set of challenges, especially in the world of college athletics. So on this podcast, we discuss our experiences, share some advice, and have real conversations with other moms in coaching who get it. If you're a college coach, a high school coach, anyone working in athletics, or a working parent in general, we're so glad you're here listening in. We wanna encourage you to win the day and keep your family first. Hey y'all, it's Brooke again. I am so excited to introduce our guest for today's show. She's a Power 5 head coach, a wife, mother of two young daughters, and a highly sought after speaker and mentor to so many in the coaching world. Yolette McPhee McEwen, or Coach Yo as she is called by almost everyone who knows her, is entering her third year at the helm of the women's basketball program at Ole Miss, where she has been hard at work developing her team into a competitive contender in the SEC and creating a lot of buzz on the recruiting trail, having just signed the number one class in the conference for 2020. Prior to that, she spent five seasons completely transforming the women's basketball program at Jacksonville University, leading her team to postseason play the last three of those seasons. And before becoming a head coach, she was a nationally recognized assistant, working her way up the ranks at stops such as Pitt and Clemson. But Coach Yo is not just a transformative coach in her own programs. She is a trailblazer in the sport of women's basketball and beyond. She was the first Bahamian woman to sign with a Division I college basketball program, where she was a standout at the University of Rhode Island. She's the first Bahamian woman to coach a Division I program. And she was the first black female head coach at both Jacksonville and Ole Miss. Coach Yo has also been a strong voice and advocate for women, mothers, her home country of the Bahamas, and in the fight for social justice here in the United States. And she manages to have a very strong presence on social media, where we are inspired daily with her positivity and down-to-earth approach as she chronicles her life at home and at work, giving her followers an inside look at what life really looks like for a mom in coaching. This conversation is chock full of Coach Yo's thoughts on everything from marriage to advice for assistant coaches to being a part of changing a racist state flag and, of course, great insight on life as a mom in coaching. We're pretty sure you'll get a lot from the time we spend together, just like Erica and I did. Thanks again for being with us today. We want to welcome you. And now it's time to welcome Coach Yolette McPhee McEwen to the podcast. Here we go. Thanks for joining us, Coach Yo. Thanks for having me, y'all. This is my favorite podcast for this this past three weeks. <laughs> wow, we feel special because you are a big timer. You are famous. You are a woman in high demand. So that is a huge compliment for us. We're so glad you're here and. We just want to kick things off. Let's talk some basketball in your team. It's so exciting what you guys have going on at Ole Miss right now. And it looks like you have your 2021 team there back, ready to go. And you guys have started some workouts. Walk us through kind of what practices and your team life has been like these past couple of weeks since they've been back. Yeah, it's been like in a super emotional roller coaster, I feel, because we didn't know if they can come. And, and then we ended up signing a few kids that had never seen campus because of COVID. 
then we find out they can come and they're like, oh, you got two weeks and everyone comes. So they showed up and it was crazy because I remember when Kira first came on campus, she said, coach, it's nice. It's finally nice to meet you. And I'm like, oh my God, like we never really met. Like I cannot believe. And then like after they get settled, she comes in our practice facility and I go, do you guys want a tour? Cause they never seen it. So I had to give them a tour. Like, so it's been wild. So the first week, obviously they did the testing. And uh, one thing we did, we got them registered to vote. And so that was something that we're super proud of. Just right away, took care of that. Just getting them for the absentee and everything registered. And then it was a protocol, just building them up. So what they're here, but we still do a lot via Zoom. So we watch film. With Zoom, we uh, have team meetings, growth sessions, everything on Zoom. The only time we really get to see them is in the gym. And so now they're past that. It's the 20th, they're allowed to do stuff. And they're working out with our strength coach. And what I decided to do was give them individual workouts. So it's like one coach and one player. And it's like three coaches in there at a time. One, I've been an assistant. I love the fact when my head coach empowered me. So I thought it was important to empower them and let them just have that. Like they'll get enough of me of me at some point. And I get to be like the executive producer. So I'm around putting stuff on Instagram. Everyone loves me right now because I'm the cheerleader. And I, I kind of like that. <laughs> that's that's uh, my fun role right now. So I've just been cheering them on and watching them. My coaches have been working with them. And then this week, they'll have two in a group. And then we'll just take our time building like that. I'm not in any rush. Like right now, I just think it's important for them to do something constructive and productive. So are you pretty much on your own to figure out what your protocol is in terms of how you want to work into workouts, Old Miss athletic department? I'm sure they give you the COVID protocol. Is there any more guidance from them? Well, the SCC hammered down and said, hey, this is what you guys are going to do. So they were on campus from the 23rd of June. So they already did their two weeks of, you know, getting them in and then they would just be in the gym shooting around they they couldn't play open gym or anything and then we would just have meetings with them via zoom and so like now they're back and so we can we can get the whole team in there they would have to wear their mask but i just don't think they're ready for that right now i just think we need to work on skill development and getting them in there and just working that one-on-one time as a player you enjoy that this is their time to just be with their position coach, spend time with them and get better. Yeah. We've talked about that a little bit already on the podcast. Just this time has been so unique for us individually as coaches. We're busy as ever, but we're more at home. And, and you do, you get a chance kind of to focus on things that are important. And as a player, focus on skill development because we don't know if there will be a season. We don't know if we need to start putting in place, you know, like it's like we would love to be doing all that, but really it is. It's a time where we can say, no, you know what? We're going to focus. Yeah. As coaches, we're totally eating our words, you know, because we tell control the controllables and have mental toughness. And now we're all freaking out, right? Because this is something different. But I have learned from COVID moving forward, I would be open to letting my team go home for a summer session 
because I did enjoy the fact that they really miss being here and that makes a difference. So I'm just gonna let them go because you think you're gaining this advantage to hear, but you're really not. And I already think our season's too long. If I could do it my way, we would have a shortened season because our players are leaving and I don't care how good they are. It's hard to get into the WNBA. They really need to broaden their horizons. They need to be able to, to go on a foreign trip because of their major or get to an internship somewhere else full throttle without having to worry about feeling bad because they're not at a summer workout. So I'm just going to give my players that option. I'm with you. And that's one of the things I've always loved about you, Yo, and what you do with your programs. And now at Ole Miss, you're about the development of these young ladies. And we get that perspective, especially as mothers of daughters, just how important that is and the role that we play in all that. Speaking of that, not only have we been dealing with COVID, but also all the social justice issues that have come about in the past few months and with Black Lives Matter. And you have been on the forefront, not just now, but for years. Talk about your active role with the state flag. Unbelievable stuff that you're just on the front lines of. Talk us through your involvement and what that's also meant for your relationship with your team. Yeah, I mean, it's been intense. I did not know that that was what I was signing up for when I came to Oxford. And honestly, being transparent, I didn't even know what our state flag looked like. Like, who looks into that when they're going to take a job? You're not like, hey, I need to see the state flag or I can't take that job. Well, I remember showing up, my staff and I, and we're at a tailgate and we see this flag and I'm freaking out. Everyone's freaking out. What is this? What? They got a confession. And the Mississippians and Coach Mint, she's from here, she goes, oh, Coach, that's just a state flag. Like, it wasn't a big deal. Well, to me and Chris, and we were floored. And, and that's when I said, uh-oh, <laughs> this is the part they don't tell you about <laughs> when you take the job. Well, after that, we get slammed with that question all the time. So I had to educate myself on the state of Mississippi. Mississippi, SEC, what it's all about, because I, I had to teach myself what was going on. So anyway, after educating myself, I was like, oh, wow, this is some bad history. This is not good. <laughs> so what we've done is we've been transparent with that with the recruits. No one in Oxford, like if you're Ole Miss, you can be pink. They don't care. They love you. And so the, the environment is one where it's, it's very diverse because it's a university, it's a college town. So when this came up and we saw the opportunity to go to Jackson with all of the other coaches in the state and be a part of this change, I don't know that I've done anything that has even been close to that. Probably just having my kids, you know, like just being in the front lines with that and doing our little part, which was small because people had been fighting this fight for a long time. But sports tends to be able to push some stuff forward. And so... My players, just the response I got from them and, and the conversations I've been able to have with them, not even understanding how to use a voice to vote. No one talks to you. When we play, no one told us to vote. I mean, it was just not something that you talked about. And then one of my players got with the football players and they organized their own rally and had like 1,500 people out there. And she spoke. I'm just, I've just been proud. 
Right. As hard of a time, as painful of a time that it's been, I mean, let's be honest, it's been painful for centuries, but as confronting as this has all been for so many of us and and divisive at times, it's been so cool, though, to see what you're talking about. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. People think like, because I'm black, it's comfortable. No, it's uncomfortable for me to even talk to people about it because a lot of people I hang with, I don't believe, feel that way. But it's like just bringing awareness and we tell our players, in order for to, to grow, you have to be uncomfortable. So had to do it. And, and the fact that I'm in Mississippi and able to have my voice, I know that God just wanted me to be here. Like this was designed for me to do what I'm doing. And so I'm just stepping in it and I'm grateful for the opportunity. I'm curious about your international perspective on this because in the U.S., like we're so divided right now with everybody's responses to George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor. But if, you, if you're if you in the Bahamas, what do you think about all this? Well, the Bahamians, we have like a whole other different fight we're trying to fight. We're trying to still rebuild our country. We still don't have clean water from Hurricane Dorian. We don't have a hospital in one of the the main cities. Um, It it got destroyed. We don't have an airport. People don't have homes. The economy is struggling to the point where it could become devastating. So as far as the Bahamas is concerned, they're looking over here like, that's y'all fight. We got our own thing. (laughs) We got our own issues. Women are not respected in the Bahamas. Y'all think in America there's a difference? In the Bahamas, there's one too. So that country has its own issues. While they hate it and they see what's going on, they really can't relate because we don't have a lot of racism in the Bahamas. Everyone's black. They're black. Like I, I didn't know about racism until I came to the United States. You know, I know about black leadership. My mom, my dad, the prime minister, that's all I know. So to come over here, and see that there's an issue with saying the word Black Lives Matter, I just can't even wrap my head around because it has always mattered for me. And your girls traveling back and forth have seen a little bit of both. So I'm just curious about the conversations that you and your husband have at home about racism, about respecting people for their differences. How have you taught Yaz and Yuri about that? Yeah, well, it was funny. One night, for some reason, Yaz was just focused on the TV. And we were watching the news. The riots had just started happening and the protests. And I swear she watched that thing for like 45 minutes. And then at the end, she goes, what's going on? Like, why are these people doing this? And I I looked at Kelly and... And so I started to explain to her what a protest was. She goes, well, why didn't the police just arrest the bad guy? And so then I had to explain that. And what broke my heart was she said, I don't want to be a police anymore. And that crushed me because I don't want any fears or anything that I have. I don't want to put it on my kids. You know, like I'm afraid of snakes, but they're not. So when they go to the place, I, I don't, I'm not even around because I don't want them to have that same fear. At the same time, you have to educate them, right? And so I just told her, like, you can still be a police. Now, y'all know, we, we're moms. Our kids want to be something different every week. 
You know, my kid wanted to be police, hairdresser, coach, singer, uh, nail tech, all of it. <laughs> Anything she experiences, that's the profession she wants. And so I had to explain to her that no matter what, you need to just focus on being a good person. You need to accept people. You need to love people for who they are. Yasmin's friends are, are diverse. She has white friends, black friends, Asian. We just made the decision that in our house, you know, you're gonna love everybody. And I think it's cool that our kids get to see moms in leadership positions. I think that's empowering, especially when you have girls, but even for boys, they need to be okay to see a woman being a boss, <laughs> you know? But for me, my girls, they need to see this. So that's how we've been handling it. So Yaz is seven, about to be eight, and Yuri's three. What has their summer looked like in the land of COVID? I mean, except for going to the Bahamas, this has probably been their best summer ever. For the first time, mommy has been home, and trust me, they needed it because daddy does not think it's important to brush your teeth every morning and <laughs> lotion and grease your hair. Like men just miss those things. Like they don't think about those things. So now like they know when they get up, get out of the pajamas, put on some clothes. Yasmin, brush your teeth. This has been huge. I'm gonna be transparent, almost sad for me. Cause I'm like, wow, I've not, spent this much time with them ever, y'all. <laughs> you know, unless they were in me and going everywhere I was going, other than that, you just don't spend that much time and, and it's important. And so moving forward, I've been just writing little lessons that I've learned from COVID on things I want to do better. And that's why when I had an opportunity to hire someone like Coach Shea, then I got a chief of staff with Coach Bo. I got to hire people that can help take the load off of me because I need a balance and because uh, that's important to me. They've been having a blast from slip and slide to pool parties to Zoom paint parties. Yuri learned how to swim. Yuri's a swimmer now. Yaz is a tumbler. They've been loving it. I'm almost nervous. I don't know how they're going to react when we go back to the hustle and bustle of things. Well, I know a lot of coaches approach work-family balance in different ways, and some people are really effective if they try to keep the two separate. But it looks to me like you really try to blend work and home, and you do it so seamlessly. Um, <laughs> talk about your approach to that. Yeah, I mean, first of all, it's not saying seamless. It, it's, a lot, it's a lot of work and it's very stressful. And I would hate for someone to think that you could be married with kids and a power five head coach and think that your life is any way normal. It's not. Um, sometimes, guys, I just sit and I just cry in the bathroom, in the shower, like all moms do. Uh, <laughs> but it's important for me to bring them around just because I think kids can learn how to love, lead, you know, have passion by being in that environment more than any classroom. Um, I just don't think a classroom can teach what they learn when they come around and they get to see what's going on and with different personalities and stuff like that. So I just think that part is cool. And like, I would like to stay married. <laughs> so my husband is a sports junkie. He swears if 
he wasn't doing what he was doing, he would be working at ESPN. And so like, he's into all of this stuff. And so I have him around and that was one of the things that I made sure was in my contract that my family can travel with me. But two of my coaches, they have children. So if you come in our office, it's like kindergarten all over because they're all over the place, like just around. And I, I just think that that's important and it's going to be something that can help them develop even faster as young people. Do you have any advice for assistant coaches with kids as far as how do you want your assistants to communicate with you about work, family conflicts? So I just think there's myth out there or misconception that if you go and work for someone that's a parent, that they will be accommodating to you because you have a child or children or family. And if you go work for someone that's not a parent, that they won't be accommodating. I think that assistant coaches really need to figure that out, what the dynamic will be like before they get into the situation that they get into. And the only way you can do that is by open communication. Even if you get in a situation and then you find out that that person may not be great with families and whatnot, there's still a way to make it where it works for everybody. Sometimes head coaches forget the human part of their assistants. My coaches don't worry about it because they don't miss anything for their kids if we're around, but that's because I would want someone to do that for me. So I'm conscious about it. Some people don't even think about it, especially, I'm sorry to say this, but male head coaches, they can have 15 kids. There's a wife somewhere or a mom somewhere taking care of those kids. Um, So they're not thinking about it. And even if you have someone that understands, you have to communicate, one, be upfront. Hey, I'm looking to start a family. What is it gonna be like? Or I have a family, these things are important to me. But I think sometimes assistants go wrong. They expect the coach to accommodate them all the time. Like, I don't think, kids should show up to a practice and the head coach doesn't know. Like, how do you not communicate those things, you know? You have to, you can't assume anything. And I think the more you communicate honestly and open, I think the better it will be for everyone. Like Coach Chris, just, he has a newborn and they are moving. And so he had a workout. I went to him and said, if you wanna stay married, don't come in on Friday. Like, we got it. And it was so funny because then on Saturday, he goes, boy, coach, you saved me. And so, and, and here's another thing I do that I think helps. When I have coaches that have spouses or partners, I go to a dinner with them, with just the spouses. And I tell them, hey, this is what you signed up for. This is what it's going to be like. Sometimes I'm like this. So that person may come home and be like this. They may get a call late at night. That's me. I usually don't do it, but if I need to, give them a break. And so that's worked really well. (laughs) 
trying to just give them a preview of what's going on. I love that idea. So your family's around a lot. Um, and obviously your girls are hearing what's said to your team. I'm curious if you have coaching pointers or different mantras that you say to your girls that you find yourself telling your kids at home. Well, girls struggle with self-confidence and having swagger. Like, I just hate that so many females are told that they can't be confident. Everything is like, oh, you need to stay humble. They don't say that to guys. And so I don't let my daughters say that they can't do something because they're quick. I can't. No, don't ever say that. You can. You just don't know how and you need help. And then another thing is I tell them that they can accomplish anything that they want in life, no ceilings, if you put in the work. I think people forget that last part. If you put in the work, like my players, I tell them, everyone has a freedom of choice, but you're not free of the consequence. So whatever choice you make, there will be a consequence. Well, I am a disciplinarian. My husband doesn't think I am. But now that I'm here, I've taken over that road. But when I'm not here, I'm like, I just want to have fun. <laughs> That's one thing, too, about me. I'm, I'm the boss at work. So when I come home, I really don't want to make any decisions about anything. What to eat, I don't care. I get to make a lot of decisions while I'm at work. So when I come home, I'm pretty, like, I'm like two different people. I'm way more subdued, relaxed. I just want to have fun. And I think it's okay to have those two personalities. Absolutely. It's hard to be on. I mean, as a head coach, you've got to be on. Yeah. You've got to be in charge. You have to be up. You can't really be too worried because your assistant's going to be like, man, if coach is worried, then you need a place where you can go and just be. Absolutely. So let's talk about that place and, and your relationship, your marriage, um, and Kelly. And, and he is that place for you, I'm sure, where you can just be. So talk us through how you guys got married and how did your coaching career play into all of that with your marriage and you guys just deciding to move forward as a family? Ooh, okay, well, in short, I, I met him when I was in grad school at UAPB. My sorority sisters uh, hooked us up. Shout out to Sigma Gamma Rho. I was not going to give him any time of day because I didn't have a job and I just didn't see it happening. And so when I needed this truck for something, I was moving and they said, oh, we know, we got someone that has a truck. We got him. And Kelly shows up, and we ended up being friends. And then a year later, we got married. And so we've been married for 13 years. When I met him, he had just gotten, like, a really good job at the corporate office in Walmart. He was, he was making more than me. So we lived separate for probably the first four to six months. And that was a complete fail. <laughs> so we almost didn't make it. <laughs> I do not advise anybody that gets married to do the apart thing. Like, I mean, I, it's just tough. Like, you need to work things out. And so uh, he moved. And so he's been moving with me ever since. It's not easy for men to have a, a partner, a wife that has the authority that maybe, you know, like I do. That has not been an easy transition We've been married for 13 years, and I don't think he got real comfortable with it until probably year eight. <laughs> you know, because he has friends that are saying stuff, and 
He has outside pressures. And when we first moved to Oxford, I asked him not to work the first year because we didn't know what was going on. And so he didn't. But then when we would go to dinner and they go, oh, well, what do you do? Oh, God, I'd be like, don't ask, you know, because he didn't want to say, I'm a stay-at-home dad. But that was an important role. It was huge. Like, I don't know that I get through year one if he's at work. So for me, uh, that's been huge. Now, the job tip, it's been great having him. And that's why I love like having males on my staff because they just think different. Like he's always like, you can do this. You're going to beat this person. They can't do, you know, so he's always like pumping me. <laughs> no, I can't. Yes, you can. You guys going to do this and they're going to. That's that bravado. Like he, he's been my number one cheerleader. Seriously. It does. It takes a special man. It takes a real man to be married to a woman that is in charge. That is the head honcho. It takes work and it takes a balance. Like that's just an added thing. So I'm very like, no, what do you think? No, what, you know, like just giving him that space. I think sometimes women, we, because we've had to lead so much, we forget that their makeup is to want to lead. And when we don't give them that space, I had to learn this. You know, a lot of people don't know this, but because you guys are, this mom's a call, I'm going to give y'all something that a lot of people don't know. Kelly and I, I think in year five, we were separated for like six months because he couldn't handle me being talked about and leading. And I ended up losing myself. I didn't even know who I was. I was so busy trying to appease him and shout out to Pastor Jeff Davis and Clemson. It saved our marriage because we we separated and he was able to get counseling Give with him. I got counseling and we learned how to be there for each other and be a team. But for six months, we were separated and this was before we had kids. You know, it probably saved us. Thank you for sharing that. I think there's a lot of people who need to hear that. You can wade through that those waters and still come out on the other side. Yeah, it's, it's not easy. That's why when people are like jealous of me or something, I just crack up because I'm like, you have no idea. <laughs> no, but it is like we've been saying, you make it look so good and so fun, yo. And it really is a credit to you and just the person that you are. And again, we talked about developing these young women that were in charge of coaching and leading through these four years that they're with us. You are a fantastic role model. That's what you're about. That's who you want to be. Who though are role models for you? Who do you look up to? Are any of them mothers in this profession? Tons, tons, tons. First of all, I just think it's important. The reason why on my social media, people see uh, a lot of positivity, because I think that there's just an, enough negativity to be out there. And, and one of my missions is to teach, develop, and inspire, period. And so if I can inspire someone, I want to do that. I want to be an inspiration for people. Sometimes that's sharing the struggles. We had a, a tough season last year and I shared that with people because they needed that. But I try to keep it good energy because I think that's what people need more than bad. They just need some hope, man. And so the moms I look up to, my first one was Agnes Baranato. She has six kids and I worked for her. And I swear she was a magician with that thing. Like Coach B was such a great 
manager of people. If you ever hear my assistant coaches or my staff say something positive about me, it's probably because I learned it from her. Like she was just awesome with that stuff. She knew how to manage people. And so I got that from her. And then obviously Toro, she had a gang of uh, kids. I mean, she had three when I was there. I mean, just back, back, back. So what I got from her was how to focus on your body afterwards because she's serious about like working out and stuff like that. Tasha A there, that's another one. She has two kids. But when you all started the moms and coaches group, that was huge for me just to see other people in the profession that love their kids and love their job. You can love both. You know that your kids come before anything, but that does not mean that you have to lose the part of you that you love. All of us that are in this, all of, all of moms in coaching, we do this because this is our ministry. Like we love this, we're passionate about this. Helping young people because that's the business that we're in. And we can be passionate about that and passionate about our kids. The challenge every day is just finding the balance, which let's just face it, we're going to fall short on sometimes, you know? So what Coach B told, taught me was, yo, sometimes your family will have to come second. And I looked at her like, what are you talking about? Like, what is this? And she's like, they have to if you want to be able to provide for them. Sometimes you have to do those things. So for any moms that are listening, I just want to encourage you, let's get rid of that mom guilt. Let's get rid of, oh, I have to re recruiting and I may miss a recital. Well, you know what? If you get the right recruit, you're going to be able to pay for a recital. <laughs> you got to balance, but when it's family time. Then make your family time too. And that's something that I've kind of fallen short with, but I've gotten better and I'm very intentional about it. When it's family time, yo, make your family time. Because you know what, guys? The AAU coach, they'll call you back. You can get that recruit back on the phone. You do not have to take that call in the middle of your daughter's performance or prayer or dinner. You know, it's okay. And in setting those boundaries are healthy anyway. When I was a young assistant, I didn't have boundaries. So coaches would call me all types of night. But after a while, I had developed a reputation. They knew that I was a worker, so I could miss the call and call back, you know? Exactly. And it just brings us back to you being able to model that for your players and also for young coaches. Women can do it. Is it easy? No, but what's easy for women? <laughs> do we have something that's easy? We wear heels. We got to do all kinds of stuff like that. That didn't make it easy for us. We have to give birth. Like, it's not easy, but we can just try to do our best. I could not have said it better. I have enjoyed listening so much and I just want you to know how much we moms in coaching, we just admire you and you've obviously had so much success in the coaching ranks, but I think what I personally have appreciated so much, even more than that 
is what you do off the floor, whether it's investing in your players, somebody who really needs it, really needs your influence. Um, I feel like you always are there to put in that extra effort with them or providing hurricane relief in the Bahamas, rallying coaches for that. That's so awesome. And then we already touched on this, but just fighting for racial equality in Mississippi. I mean, that's a battle. If you're not even from here and you took on that huge battle in the American South, you just jump right in, you dive right in. And I really appreciate you sharing with us. Yeah, I'm super pumped up about that because, like, I'm a newly naturalized citizen. And uh, honestly, I did it out of fear because some people in power, like, you know, so I was like, you know what? I have a lot of assets here. Let me go ahead and naturalize. So I have dual citizenship. And so this will be my first time to vote, too. Wow. Yeah. Yep. I registered too, and I'm excited wow. about that. Awesome. Just being, yeah. Wow. That's big That's time. So cool. Yeah. All right. So we're going to close with this. What is winning the game for you right now? Is there one thing that's getting you through? It's been tough having a positive outlook probably the last three months, just being really transparent. It's been a battle. It's been something that I've, I fight every morning I wake up, you know, I'm like, come on, yo, snap out of it. You can do this. Like you're tough because there's so much uncertainty. And when you're in this business long enough, you're going to fail a lot. You're going to fail kids. Sometimes you're going to fail personal situations. Sometimes you may fail yourself. You don't take care of yourself. But I think that at the end of the game of life, if you have more wins than losses, then you have a winning record. And so what winning looks like for me is trying to accumulate more wins than losses, wins in my personal life, wins in the basketball part, wins socially, because no one's perfect. We're going to take losses. We don't always get it right. There are no perfect coaches out there. And sometimes you have to take an L. I'm talking basketball talk, right? So that you can get a couple more wins. Sometimes you need that L. So as many L's as I've probably taken, I've been in the business 16 years, I just want my record to be a winning record at the end of the day. That's what matters to me, not year by year. I'm talking about life. Amen. Well, we are cheering for you because what you represent on so many levels, we just love seeing you win in whatever arena it may be in. And we really are. We're huge fans of you, yo. We appreciate you as a person, as a coach, what you mean in this business. And like Erica said to Moms and Coaching. So thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you. This is this was so cool. I am so glad y'all did this. We don't get to talk about being a mom without it being condescending or something like that. This is like real stuff. And we need to keep women coaches in the game. So kudos to you all. And thank y'all for having me. I'm, I'm humbled by it. We want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in to the Moms and Coaching Podcast. We hope you'll join us again for our next episode. Also, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at momsincoaching at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Moms and Coaching. Bye everyone. Until next time. Thank you.